Hello everyone and welcome back to Anything Joe's, a collaborative journey through the world of G.I. Joe. My name is Greg Engel. And I'm Jaron Decker. And we'll be your host today. Jaron, I feel like I've done you a great disservice because when we started this podcast, I told you that I was going to kind of teach you everything there is to know. And then we've spent the last month and a half talking about let the, all the breaking news in the G.I. Joe community. <laughs> it's, it's definitely been a learning experience, that's for sure. Yeah, so I, I plan to correct that starting now. You know, we talked about the origins of Hasbro, which I thought was a cru- was a key point to learning how the line was created and, and how it moved forward from there. So now I think it's time that we really talked about the core characters that started the G.I. Joe brand, what their purpose was, how they got uh, integrated into the actual G.I. Joe universe and where they went from there. can't teach you about all... 250 joes so it makes the most sense to start at the beginning and work our way forward yeah you can't teach me about all 250 joes yet we're gonna get there (laughs) well and the funny thing is when you start at the beginning of the line there are plenty of characters in the original lineup that uh got left behind pretty quickly and once characters with a little bit more personality came to light like duke so we're going to talk about the the og 13 the original 13 lineup and how they work together as a team and what their purpose was. And I feel like there's only two great resources to draw from that. So we're going to look extensively at the very first issue of G.I. Joe by Marvel Comics. And we're also going to sprinkle in some information on the file cards of these characters to paint a better picture of what their personality is like. Yeah, it's crazy how many of these characters I've just never been exposed to. Don't feel bad. There are plenty of casual fans that probably have forgotten about characters like Short Fuse and Grunt. Just characters that don't really come back that often because they were replaced with flashier counterparts. Yeah, flashiers for sure. These guys are definitely the most uh, grounded, realistic, OD green colored of the (laughs) Joes for sure. So with that in mind, let's break open the original tome of G.I. Joe, G.I. Joe number one. If you listen to our very first episode, you'll be aware that G.I. Joe was marketed as a comic book first, pretty much before anything else. Even before the figures had hit, the comic book was the very first thing that uh, landed in children's hands. You know, it is a, it's really a marketing genius, mm-hmm. you know, because of the stipulations on advertising towards kids and things with toys with and then the loose restrictions on comic books. It's just really phenomenal to see how they pieced that together and, and went aggressively at that and, and how much it, it succeeded. It is hard for me to look at this, like many things, with a fresh set of eyes, Jaren. So I'd like for you to look at this cover and kind of give me your, uh, your pros and cons. Just kind of, what's your gut feeling when you see this cover? Man, it's, it's got a lot. I will say that. Uh, it's got the red and yellow, which are you know your eye-catching colors and marketing. I think it looks really cool, though. Like, I mean, it's definitely dated. <laughs> you know, it, it screams 80s. But there's something charming about it. You know, it's the characters all are pretty different while also looking uniform, if, if that makes sense. Like, you can tell that they belong on a team, but it doesn't look like they just colored a different face on, you know, six different bodies. Which is ironic because the figures were basically palette swaps all over the place. They really had a very limited set of tooling on the originals. Yeah, again, it is hard for me to look at this cover and not just be like, memories. Yeah. Because it is just one of the, I mean, one of the most iconic covers in the line. And justifiably so, it's in number one. If you remember any comic of any run, it's typically going to be the first issue. 
some things to note about this cover are uh, first of all it has a, it had a price point of a dollar fifty which is actually pretty expensive for a comic book back then and in that little upper left hand corner box that is grunt with his fist in the air he would be the the mascot of the corner box icon for at least the first 100 issues of gi joe oh wow that's actually that's really impressive considering he's someone i've never heard of <laughs> <laughs> yeah and not to not to dwindle too long on the cover but i do think it's funny that everybody's firing in a different direction and including the tank um <laughs> it also is weird that hawk i, I assume that is hawk jumping off in a, just kind of a random i don't know what he used for leverage there <laughs> He was on the gun, and the gun moved. That's what I'm going to say. The tagline on the front of the cover says, The Ultimate Weapon of Democracy, which is a very funny turn of a phrase. That's the most American way to say that. Yeah. Introducing America's sensational new special missions force for the 80s. Little did they know that uh, all these years later, they'd still be a sensational special missions force. All right, so let's go ahead and crack this bad boy open. It's interesting that on the very first page, before you get to the story or anything, they just slapped in like a little, not a, not quite a blueprint, but it's like a weapon profile. It is funny looking back on this as an adult, how apparent they were making the toys. Mm-hmm. Because this issue features every character, every vehicle, everything that they could showcase to make sure that you knew, hey, you this was in the comic you should (laughs) tell your mom and dad to buy it Uh, but regardless of that i think this is a really interesting piece where it is it's showcasing the heavy artillery laser the hal um which was a a, like a laser cannon and it has all these little interesting uh just like the blueprints that came with the original vehicles it's like a number coded hey these are the air intakes and here's the hydraulic stabilizer and like it has a lot of technical jargon basically to go along with it this is the kind of thing that I ate up as a kid and still eat up now. So mm. like I am I am the exact demographic that they were attacking still. Like <laughs> like this makes me want a howl. Like I'm like, that's cool. I want to see how the toy is. Yeah, I totally get that. They even included uh the are the very first Shia Joe we're introduced to, which is Flash, who says in the lower bubble I'm Flash, and I'd like to tell you all about my little pea shooter, but I can't. Every functional aspect is top secret, and the stuff that isn't secret would scare you to death. Yeah, I think that's a really fun way to introduce them. Also, I love, uh, you know, for those following along with the original comic book, I'm sure they have it out. I love the how they have the shots of the, it almost looks like a blueprint from the different angles as well um, at the very bottom right. I just think that looks really cool. Yeah, and if you're listening to this and you're not following along or you don't have it with you, you can check out this exact same content on our YouTube and I'll have a visual aid to go along with it as a refresher. So, since Flash is the first guy that we came across, let's talk about Flash, because we've only got 13 characters to dive into, and I want to make sure you know them all. Flash's real name is Anthony Escambello. He's born in California. Uh, His primary specialty is infantry, and his secondary specialty is electronics. It seems like a lot of these characters had infantry as a specialty, but really, they all kind of had a... Uh, a unique characteristic that they brought to the team. Flash's file card says he's highly skilled in many aspects of electronic technology, capable of equipment repair in the field. So he's got like a a lot of electronic grade knowledge. Although in most uh, incarnations of Flash, you'll see him as a, as a laser rifle trooper. Like he has a sci-fi like laser that he uses to melt doors and things like that. 
it's interesting that you say the infantry because they're definitely trying to be as realistic, I think, as you could be and still entertain kids. Because this is an infantry squad. You know, you see the toy weapons and stuff, but for all intents and purposes, this is a squad of infantrymen. Um, so it's cool to see that they're like, hey, look, these guys are all together. They're doing their thing, but they all are also different enough and they all have their specialties. So it's not just redundant. Mm-hmm. So when you go crack open to the first color page, you can see the title of this, the first story is called Operation Lady Doomsday. Uh, it has the standard, you know, Stanley presents. And this is just kind of like a splash page to show the team working together. They're bringing this gigantic flag up uh, while Sky Strikers are flying in the back. And it's just kind of a an iconic team moment for them although we have no idea what they're doing there or what was going on it's just a good poster image to show everybody all at once yeah they're definitely evoking the the raising the flag of iwo jima uh, mm-hmm. there with it the, and this just is really a product of the time and the almost aggressive patriotism i mean don't, don't <laughs> get me wrong i love the us of a but they were definitely on a high of usa for sure uh so it's punching you right in the face well, and that factors into what we talked about in the pilot episode where this was this time in the 80s was like the perfect moment to relaunch G.I. Joe because the patriotism was at an all-time high. And so they were, I think they were really trying to capitalize on that. But yeah, that's an excellent observation. Oh yeah, for sure. I also think it's just, it's really cool to see the Sky Strikers. Like, I like that they're showing the vehicles. Also, it, I'm guessing, is this, no, this is more than the full 13 because there's a few green shirts. I just think it's really cool that you can still kind of make out some of the the main characters there Mm -hmm. uh so diving into the story uh, we join the story on uh, amtrak which is trans they have a military group of people that are escorting a woman named adele burkhart the nation's top nuclear physicist someone that had been behind a project that is called the doomsday project the doomsday project is this retaliation weapon system that can basically is wipe out all the life on planet and dr burkhart has had a significant change of heart about that development and is speaking out openly about it so everybody is locking her down because she is being interviewed by the press and she is like a danger to national security among other things besides the facts of what she has uh, in her head so it's no surprise with that kind of decimating knowledge that we see for the first time the cobra forces which are out to get her and uh, reclaim that knowledge from her yeah you know i was i was gonna be a nuclear physicist but then i realized that it just put the target on my back so i decided against it yeah that's why i turned it down to not my subpar sat scores yeah (laughs) so it's funny that the very first Cobra Troopers were introduced. We see the regular Cobra Troopers. They're flying in on some kind of... It looks like some kind of modified glider, but has a little tiny propeller on the back. Yeah, it's like a powered hang glider. But it also looks like they can real, like they can move the arms out a little bit and mm-hmm. steer. Or maybe it's actually... It actually looks more like it's got one actual arm and then they're strapped. Yeah. So they can have one arm free to shoot. So interestingly enough, the first actual Cobra personality that we're introduced to isn't Cobra Commander. It's the Baroness, who's boarded... The the train and has been brought in with taking Dr. Burkhardt alive. Now keep in mind at this point of the original lineup of Cobra, Baroness was not a character. Baroness was created by Larry Hama and then we got a character of her later. And the reasoning behind that was simply that when Larry went to write the comic, they, he didn't have enough bad guys. So he had to make some bad guys up to kind of fill out the roster. So Cobra is also disguised as some of the reporters on board that take out some of the people that are guarding Dr. Burkhardt and they take her hostage. 
And their guns were disguised as cameras. You can't forget that part. Pretty innovative. So (laughs) they jump out the train. It's also really cool that Baroness is wearing like a kind of a mod era dress in this. I don't know if that's supposed to be part of her original outfit design or it's just part of her disguise at this time. But they jump out and they have a hot air balloon parachute escape device that transports them to a Cobra transport and basically gets them out of Dodge. Did they uh, did they ever make this version of the helicopter for Cobra or no? They didn't. And you will see a lot of variations of a Cobra chopper over the years, none of which make the jump to the toy line, unfortunately. Yeah, because this is a cool design, but it is also a lot more realistic than most of the Cobra designs. Mm-hmm. So cut from there to the Pentagon, where they are they are kind of taking, they're surveying the damage that's been done. This is the first time that we meet uh, General Austin and General Flagg, who are pretty much the two highest up people in the chain when it comes to these type of things. They are discussing the problem at hand, which is that they can't let Dr. Burkhart relay the information she knows about the Doomsday Project to a terrorist organization like Cobra. So despite... I, I really like the fact that the the kind of like ransom letter, I guess it's not even really ransom, just a don't try to get her. I like that he just signs Cobra. Just, just <laughs> yeah, He Cobra, is Cobra. Cobra the organization. So they come to the conclusion that they have to have a successful rescue. And they are fully aware of who Cobra is at this point, that they have a whole trained army. And so they decide that they're going to call in special counter-terrorist group Delta, code name G.I. Joe. <laughs> and it's interestingly small. enough, at this point, yeah, it's a little it's a little mouthy. Uh, it seems at this point that G.I. Joe has had little, minimal or little usage at this point because they are pulling up literally dossiers of the roster of G.I. Joe. And so this is the first time that we see everybody all laid out. So if you look at the bottom of this page, we can see our OG-13, which is Hawk, Zap, Grand Slam, Scarlet, Short Fuse, Steeler, Flash, Clutch, Grunt, Stalker, Breaker, Snake Eyes, Rock and Roll. And if you want to get into Easter Egg territory, there's a little picture of Shooter. The abridged version of Shooter is that at this point in the arc, the artist had thrown in a little extra character as a nod to then-editor-in-chief Jim Shooter. But the interesting thing about that is much, 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 much later on in continuity, Larry Hama would go back and write a declassified series where he would make shooter an actual character and would tell her story as she was operating in secret kind of prior to joining up with the gi joe team because they don't really are not really aware of who she is until she's dead unfortunately so so shooter is like the 14th but also the you know whatever number that you want to add on (laughs) yeah kind of the unspoken member of the team basically later on but shooter would go on to get a figure there towards the end of the modern era run which is very satisfying. She's a very interesting character. I also like that, like they all are in their green, and then there's just Snake Eyes. Like they, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and we covered it on the last episode. The the reasons why he is black, and it's you know really fun to to see how they're doing it. But it's just really funny to see how he just stands out, and he was always meant to, and now we always love him. So on the next page, we get our first in depth look at our next character, and that's Clayton Abernathy a.k.a. Colonel Hawk, just a colonel at this point, but would later go on to be the general of the team. So if we look at Colonel Hawk's file card, we can see that he's born in Denver, Colorado. He comes from a well-established family, top of class, has seen action in a number of trouble spots. He's listed as a missile commander on his file card because that's what he came with at the time, was a missile launcher. And he just kind of has a 
overall, I mean, like his primary specialty is listed as artillery, again, because he was a missile commander. And his secondary specialty is radar. It's actually kind of interesting based on this information that Hawk would be the one that ends up being the general later on, that he would be the one that gets the promotion. But I guess it was just obvious since he was the leader at this point that he would be next in line for their promotion. Hawk is a character that didn't have a ton of personality because he didn't really go on a lot of missions initially, and that got fleshed out considerably over the years. So at this point, we see Hawk is on his way to Fort Wadsworth, and he has Clutch as his driver. And this is a good time to take a look at Clutch's file card as well. So Clutch is listed as the vamp driver. His primary specialty, poor guy, is transportation. (laughs) Secondary specialty is infantry. And that's kind of Clutch's whole MO. Clutch was born in New Jersey. His real name is Lance Steinberg. And his file card lists him as a mechanic, uh, heavily involved in street racing. And that's it. Like, that's the defining characteristic of Clutch as we knew him back then. He came with a Jeep, so he drives a Jeep. <laughs> but it's but it, the funny thing is, is that Clutch is actually one of those characters that kind of has made the leap over the years and didn't get left in the dust. It's hard to put a particular pin in why, but Clutch has developed a very unique personality over the years. Clutch is actually one of my favorite characters. He's just a interesting motor pool guy i think my favorite little note from his file card is that he chews on the same toothpick for months <laughs> and he still calls women chicks yeah he kind of has that womanizing characteristic that shipwreck <laughs> had in the cartoon luckily that's you know that's a byproduct of the 80s and it's not as rampant uh, as it was then yeah i think i think he's really cool it's always nice to have a designated driver though so mm-hmm, yeah clutch is a is a great driver too he has a lot of uh high stakes car chases that and he, where he really shines so for a guy that's just in transportation he really excels at it as they make it to fort swadsworth we're kind of thrown in with a bunch of other characters at this point grand slam and zap his name gets thrown out uh, rock and roll and Steeler. Everybody's kind of all here at once now. And it's at this point where the vamp is takes a kind of a secret hydraulic lift that takes them down into the crux of the G.I. Joe Combat Training Center. So you get to see what the G.I. Joe headquarters, it's like your first impression of the G.I. Joe headquarters. Can I just say, before we touch on the rest of this, the vamp has to be one of my favorite designed vehicles, just in any in any format of any pop culture universe. Like, I just love how it looks. The vamp has a simplicity to it that is endearing, but is also such a practical vehicle to have as a kid where you're like, I can get you know just a handful of guys on here it has a cool cannon on the back it had just enough detachable accessories to make it kind of unique uh, i love the vamp it is also one of my favorite vehicles it doesn't it just proves that gi joe vehicles didn't have to be overly elaborate to be endearing yeah and as you know that is the first gi joe vehicle i ever owned yeah so in the checkbox of things that jaren's doing in the gi joe world jaren acquired his first vehicle and it was an og vamp that i picked up for him at the kentucky and gi joe expo and i can't they give a better place to start honestly it's a it's a delightful vehicle it's very very fun my uh, second and third will probably end up being the off striker and the hiss when they get re-released mm-hmm. but who knows maybe i end up i almost bought a barracuda the other day so maybe i'll randomly buy a, some other vehicle you never know so the ghl combat training center I, i'm not going to get too in-depth with because we're going to talk extensively about the pit at the end of this issue but it's at this point that Colonel Hawk talks to everybody else that's on the team. You've basically seen everybody at this point now because here's Breaker, here's Scarlet, there's Snake Eyes. 
like we've everybody's here and has been training. So they assemble everybody together in the briefing room. If I and, uh, if I may, sorry, as you as you, if you go to the page where you're overlooking, what is that like tank thing that they're doing there? Is that ever touched on or? I think it's supposed to be like a submersion training. So mm-hmm. if you were like a deep sea diver, you could get used to the effects of being underwater. Okay, that makes sense. I just didn't bins. know if that was something that would come back or if that was just one of those things that they're like, hey, that looks really cool. Let's do it. It breaks up the look. I think it I think it was just a really cool. <laughs> or maybe they ran out of stuff for them to do and they were like, here, throw him underwater. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I don't know who that would be in there. I mean, there's no, there are no underwater specialists on the team at this time. So at the briefing, they are telling the, the Joes that Cobra has Dr. Burkhart stashed on an island in the Caribbean. Uh, they ran a mission over it and they have a video of the island. Now, to be clear, this is not the Cobra Island that we know and love now because it has it doesn't exist at this point. This is just an island that they have taken over and are using as a headquarters. Ah, so this isn't the Cobra Island with the exclusives that are a pain in the butt to try to find. No, as we go through this later on, you'll see not only with the kind of the structure and design of Cobra Island, but how it was created, how they gained sovereignty there. And there are so many cool things that happen on Cobra Island. You eventually really kind of know exactly what the layout of it is. Oh, that's pretty cool. It like becomes like its own character. Yeah. Yeah. It's as noticeable or rememberable of a headquarters as the pit is. So, Hawk is divvying out the teams on who's going to do what on this Cobra Island. Grunt, Stalker, and Short Fuse will take out the airfield, tower, and hangar, leaving one small aircraft intact. Flash and Breaker are assigned to take care of the radar. Scarlet and Snake Eyes will knock out the generator in the fort. And then they show him the only known photo of Cobra Commander. <laughs> he's, so, he's, got a, he's got very broad shoulders in that one. <laughs> it's interesting that at this point the G.I. Joe team has never faced Cobra or any aspect of it. And it's also worth noting that in these uh, this first run, especially with the original team of 13, they only fight Cobra specifically in a handful of them. Yes, it's their main target, it's their main threat, but there's also a pretty good little slew of other things that G.I. Joe gets tasked to do at this time. And I guess it's safe to assume prior to this they had you know, military business that didn't pertain to Cobra. That's fun. You can always go back and, and create your own stories, I guess. Yeah, there's a couple of, of different classified stories that are supposed to talk about how the team got together, but the continuity is pretty loose on that because it happened. It was written so many years later. They also show the team the picture of Baroness, which now we know, and he also shows them a picture of Dr. Burkhart. So there is some conflicting feelings about Dr. Burkhart because she's basically gone to the news and said, hey, the government's doing making this project and I don't agree with it. So military personnel feel... A little jaded about that but hawk assures them that hey it's every citizen's right to speak their mind they can disagree with the government if they want to that's not our job and this is pretty heavy for a kid's book uh even uh, not just them questioning it but even snake eyes signals and says quote how can the rights of an individual compare to the safety of the entire world when a b-52 bombing raid solve this problem with less risk which is the second <laughs> Which is the second time in just a handful of pages that they suggested that just killing Dr. Burkhart would be easier than saving her. And Hawk is like, no, we're the good guys. Silent is a civilian population. It's not our job to judge her. We're soldiers. Our job is to follow orders, to do the impossible, and make it look easy, which is classic. So the G.I. Joe team is inserting themselves onto the island. They've already been detected by Cobra Commander, and they are immediately engaged by Cobra forces. Stalker wastes no time, and he slaps on the jet mobile propulsion unit, a.k.a. the jump. And since they're focusing on him for a minute, so will we. 
movie. Stalker's real name is Lonzo Wilkinson. He was born in Detroit, Michigan. His primary specialty, it's infantry. <laughs> He's technically listed as a ranger, and his secondary specialty is medic or interpreter. Uh, Stalker was a warlord of a large urban street gang prior to enlistment. He's fluent in multiple languages, top of class, basic combat training, advanced infantry training. They don't talk about it here, but it's well established later on that he's an excellent sniper. And at this point in the team lineup, Stalker is pretty strongly regarded, I would think, as the next in command. This is before there was a Duke or Flint, and the pecking order is a little gray. But I had always looked as, you know, Stalker is kind of the, the next field commander when Hawk isn't there, which was pretty common. You know, I'm really impressed with the diversity that they use, and they're not just creating him as a caricature. You know, he is, you know... It would be easy for them to just be like, oh, well, we're going to make him the, the, the token person of color and we're going to do this, this, and this. But he is like, in my opinion, probably the most educated. I mean, he's fluent in all those different languages. And some of those are weird, like like Swahili, Arabic. Like those are some like advanced and different languages. So it's not like he's just learning a couple that are similar. Uh, so I think it's really great to see that even in the 80s, they were kind of pushing forward on some things. Yeah, this is something that uh, most people will bring up at some point is that diversity in G.I. Joe, especially during the 80s, is pretty out of this world. Uh, not only do you have uh, a person of color like Stalker, but even though Zap was born in New York City, he is of Hispanic origin. They have a female that's on the team. Uh, stuff that you didn't really see in toy lines at this time. Uh, so I think that's excellent. And I think that that only grew as time goes on, which I think is great. So... After Stalker takes care of business, they land and they've got a little hand-drawn map where they're checking out where everybody has to go. The Cobra forces have reported back to Cobra Commander and said they've basically failed. But Cobra Commander knows what he's doing and he got their arm to the teeth here in the fort and they're basically ready for him. And you do see Baroness in kind of her more traditional look as well. Yeah, she's got that kind of, I mean, typically she wears black and this is kind of colored as more of a blue. But still, you're right, this is a little bit more in line with what we're used to seeing her wear. So, uh, as they are looking to uh, silence the alarm, this is the first chance that, we'll, as a callback to what I was talking about earlier, where Flash breaks out his laser gun, or his laser rifle, and cuts down on this wire so they can uh, hack into it and make everything look like an all-clear. In the meantime, the forward attacking force, Scarlet and Snake Eyes, has laid eyes on Dr. Burkhart. So as the team progresses with its infiltration, we get another look at a specialist, and that's good old Short Fuse, who drops a mortar on the airstrip and blows up one of their planes. So Short Fuse is definitely one of the characters that falls under everybody's radar, which is a shame because he's really, really cool. Short Fuse is listed as a mortar soldier, as shown here. His real name is Eric Freestead. I think that's correct. Born in Chicago. Comes from a military family. Enjoy, enjoys abstract mathematics and can plot artillery azimuths and tribulations in his head. Short Fuse is their mortar guy. And even though there was a different mortar guy that came along later, he is, and maybe it's because his specialty is so specific that he didn't get a lot of time, but I think Short Fuse is a very interesting character. Yeah, uh, once again, it really shows that they were trying to be really realistic, especially here in the beginning, you know, giving all of these people pretty traditional, I mean, granted, squads of people aren't normally, you know, this diverse it's normally you know this actual infantry squad you have a mortar squad um but they kind of like have boiled down the essence of what the military is and given everybody a different you know of course they're all infantry um which actually he is listed as an infantry engineer so mm. still infantry but a little bit different um as a secondary specialty but you know it definitely seems like they're trying to diversify kind of the the specialties of each of these characters and really get the the whole run the whole gambit of what 
the military is. So as the team is starting to come together, having accomplished their mission, Breaker and Flash have knocked out the radar. Uh, Short Fuse and his team had neutralized the airstrip. Uh, Stalker gathers them all together and says, we still have an ambush to set up. They're basically ready to make their main move. As they roll out their quote-unquote ambush, their heavy assault team strikes. This is also a chance to see... Every vehicle that you can purchase just about <laughs> <laughs> all on display here at once. Here's the vamp. Here's the Mobat. So they roll in full tilt and are <laughs> just go straight to it with them while Snake Eyes and Scarlet are trying to get Dr. Burkhart and Exfiltrator. Another interesting thing when we were talking about the maturity of this children's book is that when the team makes it to the fishing village, they realize that Cobra has killed every person on the village, women and children, everybody, just to keep the G.I. Joe team from getting aid from them. That's pretty mature content for a book that was aged at, that was targeted at such a young age. Yeah, uh, and, and even earlier when we were looking at the airfield, that was the... You know, you see the bodies of the Cobra Troopers laying down. You you know, in that one panel, you see more bodies than you do in the entirety of the cartoon. Yeah, it's a sharp contrast to every time something blows up, they parachute out safely, no no problem. <laughs> or there's always water. There may not right. have been water in the, in the previous scene, but because they fell out, there's now water. Yeah, so they successfully ambush the transport that Dr. Barkhart's being transported in. Stalker swoops in with the jump pack, grabs her out of the car, and realizes that it's actually Baroness in disguise, which is another big thing that comes into play because Baroness is in disguise a lot. She is practically a disguise expert, especially in the early episodes of the cartoon they use the ton she's more successful at being a disguised person than zartan is yeah honestly and this is also when cobra commander reveals that his true plot wasn't to extract the doomsday plan it was just to he was just using her to lure the gi joe team into a trap which is very interesting that he was so actively ready to engage with them yeah it definitely seems like a stark contrast to the cartoon when he is definitely a lot more uh, kind of slow to directly engage against them, I would say. Yeah, he's not as cowardly as he is in the cartoon, that's for sure. But the cartoon and the comic are definitely two completely different creatures yeah. uh, in almost every way. Snake Eyes and Scarlet are able to make it to the main room where Cobra Commander is holding Dr. Burkhardt at gunpoint. And while the rest of the G.I. Joe team is outside holding them off. As Cobra Commander is threatening Scarlet and Snake Eyes to let him escape safely, Dr. Burkhart, at the risk of her own life, warns them that it's a trap. I love the fact that uh, that he has changed from his hooded into his more like like visor look. Yeah, that's his battle already look. Like he's he always he he's definitely got a flair for the dramatic in any in incarnation. Doctor Burkhart takes one for the team and gets shot, blocking the GI Joe team from getting injured. Scarlet takes one of her handy throwing stars and hits Cobra Commander in the wrist, disarming him. The rest of the Joe team charges in and they save Doctor Burkhart. Cobra Commander manages to escape in the shuffle as he typically does and that cobra chopper that you were so fond of is what the gi joe team uses to escape in hey we can still get a toy for it it's not too late <laughs> so as the joe team leaves with dr burkhart and cobra commander and baroness escape on their own route that's the conclusion of the first uh, story from operation lady doomsday I'll take this moment to cover a couple characters that we haven't talked about yet let's talk about grunt so before we started recording, Jaron, you were telling me an interesting fact that you learned about Grunt today. Would you like to tell the audience at home about it? Yeah, so I, I, it made me feel really proud because, uh, you know, before today I'd never heard of him existing. And now I feel like I've got a little little cheat sheet for him. Uh, you know, he is one of those characters that people have traditionally kind of put into a troop builder, kind of have lumped him into the green shirts. But he is a specialized character 
Uh, he is a named character. You know, if you have multiple grunts, you you would have to do something to kind of make that make sense because there can't be multiple Robert Graves unless you bring in cloning or his parents <laughs> had twins that he, they didn't know about and he didn't know about. So it, it's that's two that's two Star Wars references that you just tried to sneak in. <laughs> 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 you never know, man. I'm on to you. I'm on to you, buddy. Yeah. Um, so it's it's cool to see that he is a named character. I mean, he does, you know, it, he seems like the most basic of the troopers. His name is literally Grunt, which is a term for infantryman. So I can definitely understand. And if I hadn't learned that, I would probably be the same way, thinking that he was a just a troop builder. But he is actually specialized. I believe he left to go to college at one point in the continuity. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that one, Greg. Spoilers. Ooh. <laughs> hey, <laughs> look at me. I'm doing research. I'm learning stuff. So it, it's it's sad to see that he's been left behind because I like his design. I think his his kind of story is cool because it seems like he uh, he is a he's almost like the every man of the group. Like he's just a he's just a regular soldier who is who has joined in and he's he's trying to do his best. Yeah, so, I mean, there's really not a whole lot to cover other than what you just said. Grunt was kind of a generalized infantry trooper, and I guess that's why it goes along with his name. As a general rule, the people that are the actual disposable troopers of the G.I. Joe universe are called green shirts, much like disposable characters in the Star Trek universe are called red shirts. But Grunt was a unique character who, I mean, he got a little bit of action in the G.I. Joe book, but significantly less than others. Definitely not on the level of Snake Eyes, that's for sure. Let's also take a second and talk about another character that is uh, had has kind of had a revival, and that's Rock and Roll. Rock and Roll was in the recapped episode that we talked about when they were reconstructing a team of characters, and it was kind of interesting that he made the cut. Rock and Roll's real name is Craig McConnell. He was born in California. He is a machine gunner who was a surfer in Malibu prior to enlistment. Also plays bass guitar in local rock bands. <laughs> uh, no shocker from a guy named Rock and Roll. Cool thing about Rock and Roll is that Rock and Roll does have a lot of personality and kind of, and no pun intended, stick to his guns. He's a machine gunner. He uses a machine gun. He's always used a machine gun. Not to mention he has that like fierce blonde beard that kind of sets him apart. Uh, over the run of the comic book, uh, Rock and Roll and Clutch would become very good friends and were often seen together uh, getting into all kinds of trouble. They just kind of became good buddies over for no reason that we're clear on but it was a very they're a very good tag team i feel like he's such a cool design character too i like that he has the two like ammo belt like strap mm -hmm. draped across him um and then his blonde beard just looks really cool yeah and let's see who else do we want to talk about so Steeler is the tank commander real name ralph pulaski born in pittsburgh Steeler is another character that is defined about his vehicle he drives a tank and that's his thing and much like clutch that's kind of the only thing you really know about him his primary specialty is armor his secondary specialty is transportation slash artillery but in the early issues of the comic Steeler kind of stands out as a dude that's a real really like tough guy like he's super super strong and very muscular but not stereotypically stupid that comes along with that uh Steeler was one of the first Joes I ever had so I am partial to him because of that but I think he gets overlooked a lot because he is always tethered to a vehicle yeah, it must be really hard having such a cool vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> so Grand Slam's real name's James Barney. <clears throat> He's the laser artillery soldier born in Wisconsin. He is kind of defined by that. He's got a cool little laser gun that would melt through cables and 
uh, other artillery. He came with a bigger weapon, the heavy artillery laser, but he also carried a smaller laser gun as well. Yeah, and it's really cool because he's also uh, been noted as kind of a fan of comic books and things like that. So he is one of the more relatable ones to me. Yeah, it's interesting that that kind of stuff doesn't doesn't really come up in the comic, and maybe that's why Grand Slam kind of falls into the background over time is just because they his personality doesn't specifically stand out. Like, he doesn't really develop as a character, or maybe he just wasn't given enough time. I think Grand Slam is really cool. I will say this, Grand Slam and... I will say this, Grand Slam's torso is exactly the same as Flash, except there's a color variation. So, it... They look so similar. I remember as a kid having a really, really difficult time telling the difference between the two. And really, other than their gloves, that was about the only way you could distinguish between the two until they got more modernized versions later on. So maybe that's the reason that the two of them kind of fell to the wayside is they were so similar looking. Yeah, it's definitely taken me quite a bit to try to understand the differences because they are so similar. But I do like him, and I hope he kind of gets a resurgence. Maybe maybe we'll eventually get to see him in the the six-inch line. Yeah, he's a, those are great characters. Breaker is their communications officer, real named Alvin Kibbe, born in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Primary specialty, infantry. But again, <laughs> this falls back onto Breaker is listed as a communications officer, and he's almost always seen as that. He's the guy in the field. He's one of the characters that has a headset built in like to his helmet, so he was always radioing the base back and telling him what's going on. He was doing covert electronics. And in the earlier issues, they kind of used them as a jack-of-all-trades for electronic stuff, like hacking into radars and things like that. But Breaker is a, is another excellent character. Breaker also stands out when you see the is he was always chewing bubble gum he does not have the beard that his figure has he's much he's identified as being a much younger looking character and that probably didn't do him any favors either we talked a little bit earlier about zap real name rafael melendez born in new york city uh zaps is listed as a bazooka soldier who's also got a primary especially in engineering it's pretty self-explanatory he carries a bazooka he's got armor piercing anti-tank and if i had to put my thumb on why zap got minimized it's because bazooka came around <laughs> so close to when zap did they both had the same like specialty except bazooka was in the cartoon he kind of had a little bit more of a character development and so i think they slowly phased zap out in favor of bazooka because it didn't make sense to have two bazooka soldiers on the team yeah it's really unfortunate that your defining feature is then used as a character's name like it, it definitely <laughs> can't help your longevity my wife loves to ridicule the fact that the, the characters names are so spot on and so when we watch the cartoon, sometimes I'll pause it and go, name these people. And she'll go, well, what does he do? And I'll go, well, that guy, Gary's a bazooka. And she'll go, well, his name is Bazooka. And I'll be like, that's that's correct. This guy, this guy climbs mountains. And then she'll go through a couple of names and I'll be like, well, that guy's name is Alpine. So sometimes it would be spot on, but they, yeah, they did try to like, they didn't bury the lead too much when it came to those. No, they were very, I mean, granted, it is kind of a side effect of having that many characters. Definitely not saying that they shouldn't have tried maybe a little bit harder, but when you're making that many that quick, it, can, it definitely can be difficult to, to actually try that hard, but maybe a little bit harder than naming them that on the nose. Very true. The last two characters that we have to cover are Snake Eyes and Scarlet, so it makes perfect sense that we would carry do them back-to-back. -back. Snake Eyes is listed as a commando, uh, even though he is proficient in all of these uh, karate kung fu jiu-jitsu styles on his file card. The secondary com He's also listed as an infantry specialist with a hand-to-hand -hand combat instructor as a secondary. It's interesting that in the early days, Snake Eyes really did kind of 
personify that commando vibe and then over time that didn't go away but they really put a much stronger emphasis on the on his uh ninja skills the ninja version of him yeah it was definitely one of those things that when we were talking about this episode i was like oh whoa wait hold on he doesn't have a he doesn't have a single sword here uh yeah they bounce back and forth between it a lot but yeah he's uh he's kind of everybody has their preference some people like him as a commando and some people like him as a ninja i mean it's hard to say no to a ninja when you can have a ninja it's really cool to see him this way it makes me want to get a second classified six inch and just really lean heavily into the commando version give him a different head and just give him the actual guns give him an explosives pack and just have them both together because uh, it's really cool to see the different variation of them. It was certainly hard to say no to ninjas in the 90s because they <laughs> were everywhere. Scarlett's real name is Shauna O'Hara. She was born in Atlanta, Georgia. Her primary specialty is intelligence, and her secondary specialty is classified. What is up with that? It's because they don't want to tell you that she's also in infantry. I, I have heard Chief and Steve on Talking Joe discuss before that they put a secondary specialty as classified so Larry could come back and fill in that skill later on as needed where they would be like oh man we really need uh somebody that can translate this language and Mm. then scarlet would go oh well my secondary specialty is i can i'm a rosetta stone i can translate (laughs) any language that's a pretty excellent theory that would actually be really cool if she was a rosetta stone (laughs) yeah right counterintelligence is what's listed on scarlet's file card and it's really hard to put a pin in what that specifically refers to and i guess that's why you see her in the comic book kind of doing a little bit of everything she's a really cool character i do like that there is a strong female character having a daughter it'll be great to kind of show her you know this hobby of mine and and be like hey look it's not just a bunch of boys like scarlet kicks people's butts no matter what like it's cool to kind of have that to show and to put forward for her I couldn't agree more. When we were talking about representation in the team, it's really nice to have so many. There are a, a, a great amount of strong female characters in the G.I. Joe universe that I can kind of watch with my daughter and not, it's not like watching X-Men cartoons with my daughter where I'm like, wow, those those ladies really are underdressed for the situation. <laughs> I feel like G.I. Joe doesn't cater to that and i think it's commendable yeah it's it's very it, nothing opens your eyes like that until you have a daughter and then you're like oh my gosh <laughs> you know? so let's finish out the rest of this book and i want to take just a minute to talk about this uh incredibly detailed drawing of the pit that has been around forever and is something that people still pour over the details of because it's so in-depth and so well drawn out it covers every aspect of the from the very tippy top where the motor pool is at to a floor-by-floor breakdown of where they where the action was at where their living quarters were at where are their generators here's an alternate escape route i mean this is an amazing thing to look at is all inspiring yeah it's really a place that's really cool because it makes me want to build one yeah it's a playset that's begging to be made i know the scale and scope of it is probably uh borderline impossible without some truly impressive resources but it's just so cool to look at maybe they'll do uh if we see a rebirth of the three and three quarters line maybe the retro line continues but maybe that's something that Haslab can do you know they've done some really big pieces maybe they would be willing to do something like this for it i would uh, be be 
over the moon to see something like this it even shows where they park the tanks it's amazing i mean like it's just it's something that has withheld the test of time it's one of the most amazing things and certainly something that you wouldn't expect to be in the back of the very first book before they had even carried on with what was going on yeah it, it really makes me want like no joke like i want to build one i don't have the skill is the only problem <laughs> yeah i could build the the rough shape of it but the all the the details and all that not 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 there so after the main story in the original printing it doesn't it's gotten reprinted only a couple of times but it does tend to get overlooked there's a backup story in gi joe number one that's called famously hot potato hot potato is a, a short focus story based on rock and roll scarlet snake eyes uh as they're in the desert trying to bring back this piece of intel and the what that entails for them as they're trapped behind enemy lines um it's interesting that this is the first time you see the reference of Trucial Abysmia, which is the fictional Middle Eastern uh, area that Larry created and will come into play time and time and time and time again. It's in so many stories, it's crazy. It's interesting that they, you know, they task the Rock and Roll and Snake Eyes to make it through the desert with the tape and it's interesting that in the first issue you really do get to see a side of rock and roll that you're not going to see in the regular story because this story doesn't have the entire team in it you do get this little flash of focus on these characters this is also right off the bat the first time you really see that snake eyes does have an affection for scarlet because he kind of defies orders and turns around to save scarlet's life and bring her back at the end of this story, Rock and Roll completes his mission, delivers the tape, and then comes back for them also, which is really binding that camaraderie that the team had where they really looked out for each other and took care of one another. It's also interesting to see Hawk in action with the vamp. And once again, it is definitely different because you see Scarlet and Snake Eyes just mowing these people down. Yeah. No uh, no bones about it. They weren't holding back. At the very, very end of this issue, which again is probably why this book was a little bit more expensive than the average book at this time, you get to see some breakdown classified files, which is basically just a reprint of the file cards with a kind of a clever little pinup. So we see Scarlet. And when we move on to the next page, we get to see Breaker with his iconic bubblegum chewing. We also get a pretty brief reprint of his file card information. We talked about Flash at the very beginning of this episode and this is another great pinup uh, that reprints his file card and then on the next page we get to see stalker on the jump pack i actually really like this art you can see that the planes that are represented here are not really sky strikers i'm not really sure what kind of vehicle that's supposed to be they look very much like the ones i would have drawn as a kid like very straight lines boxy yeah they make me think of like old 60s fantastic four fantastic car style yeah. vehicles that would just be a square yeah. then as soon as you're done with the character profiles have some more vehicle profiles there's a pretty extensive breakdown of the vamp the vehicle attack multi-purpose it shows the uh, same specifications that we got in the very beginning with flash where it breaks down each part just like you're getting the blueprint that comes along with the vehicle it's really cool to vamp if you want to you can look up the lamborghini cheetah it is the real life vehicle that gave the inspiration uh, for the design of the vamp it makes me want one that was i believe it never actually made it into production it was just a prototype uh but it it, it looks like a realist like like a real vamp um other than it, it looks like it was originally a four-door whereas the vamp was more of a two-seater um but it, it's really cool i definitely recommend you checking that out if you like the design of the vamp like i do man you really have been doing some expensive ebay shopping yeah. haven't you? <laughs> i've got one outside and it just just uh just pulled up 
I can't say anything. I've been looking for a DeLorean for about 25 years now. Oh my so gosh. If you ever find one, I will cry. <laughs> I, it's so hard to find one that works or find working parts from one that doesn't. It's almost a pop dream at this yeah, point. Yeah, and most of the ones now have already been built into a time machine so that then it is it costs 10 times more. <laughs> right. And on the next page, they do the exact same thing for the Mobat, where you get to see Steeler and you get to see all of the interesting parts of the tank. It's funny now when you look back at it and go, wow, these are advertisements. But as a kid, you didn't really look at it like that. You just looked at it like, oh, additional information to help me understand the book. Pretty, pretty smart, man. I got to say, they knew what they were doing. So that brings us to the end of the of the G.I. Joe number one. I felt like it was a good place to get a, a feel, almost like a Cliff Notes version of what how the first 13 G.I. Joes worked as a team. If you are new to the franchise like Jaren is, I wanted to make sure we covered our bases and I didn't want to overload you with too many characters, but I want you to get a sense for what the original team looked like. As we move forward, we won't examine every issue in depth as the original team only functioned as an original team for less than a year by the time issue 12 got here the new characters were already rolling out and the team was starting to expand but i did feel like it was important initially that you that we learned the first 13 joes and we will develop the roster from there yeah it's really cool i think this was definitely a cool uh a good starting point get that kind of base information for him even though a lot of these characters have unfortunately been lost to time it's cool to see where we started and then to see kind of how we got to where we are based off of the beginning i would agree with that and if you're out there and you are maybe you have a specific story that i've forgotten that involves one of these characters that feels like they're forgotten and if you think that there's a character that we've discussed that maybe isn't as forgotten as i think he is i'd love for you to email us and let us know you can talk to us directly at anything joe podcast at gmail.com if you're not already following us on youtube please check us out at youtube.com slash anything joes uh follow us on twitter at anything joes pod and also instagram anything joes pod and we want to thank you so much for listening today make sure to join us next time on anything joes where anything's available for discussion and anything joes